as we continue looking at the life of Abram. I am reminded of what Jesus told his disciples and a crowd he allowed to listen on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19-14. Jesus made the statement, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In commenting on this passage, D.A. Carson said that Jesus explained the choice between two treasures where we lay them up, two visions where we fix our eyes. And behind that story is a basic choice between those two masters, treasures on earth or treasures in heaven. And it raises a question, whom will we serve? Who will be our master in this life that we live? And we come to such a place throughout life where we have to face choices. Abram comes to a place where he needed to make a choice. And so as we look at the Word of God together, I'd ask you to stand. Genesis 14, 17 through 24. And I want you to listen carefully to what happened in Abram's life. And the word of God declares, after Abram returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, And blessed be God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten, and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them have their share. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. At the very heart of our text is an important event that happens to Abram, the father of faith after he defeated Ketolaramer. Simply put, our text reveals that Abram met with two very different kings. Melchizedek, king of Salem, and Bera, king of Sodom. And in that meeting, Abram has to make a couple of choices about what he's going to do. And Abram was not alone. Folks, ahead of us in this life, of faith that we have called upon God to give us, we will be faced 
with many similar and constant choices. So we're going to take a look at these two choices today. And then guess what? You'll be asked to make a choice. And we begin by looking at the truth. When we look at this meeting of kings, there are three kings in all. Abram is taking the role of a king here. Bera, king of Sodom, and Melchizedek, king of Salem. And the choice, we need to look at the first. We can choose to be true to our faith. We can choose to be true to our faith. This is not an unreachable option. This is not something that is totally without possibility. You see, when Abram meets these kings, and we're told that Melchizedek comes out, with one king, Melchizedek, king of Salem, Abram had a faith-affirming encounter that directed his heart. With Melchizedek, something happens. It is a faith. It is a powerful moment. Now, what makes this text so amazing and mysterious and has caused debate for centuries is this man, Melchizedek. I want you to notice what we are told about this man in this encounter. First of all, he comes out to meet Abram and and his men with bread and with wine. Now some have tried to say this is a religious meal, this is a, a sacrificial meal. I don't believe that. I believe he's simply saying, to Abram and his men, thank you for what you've done. He's offering hospitality in its richest form. I know you're hungry. I know you're thirsty. Let me give you something amazing that will help you. We then notice that his name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. So, the text reveals by that name, this is a man who was a righteous ruler. He's not like those who would lord it over his people who would take advantage of him. He is a righteous ruler. We're also told that he is the king of Salem. And most scholars are in complete agreement. Salem was an old name for what became the city of Jerusalem. And king of Salem means king of peace. So in this one man we find the attributes of righteousness and peace. He's king of Salem. Folks, he was a Canaanite. He was a Canaanite. Get that clear. Then we hear, he is priest of God Most High. This is the term, El Elyon. And it is only used one other place in the book of Psalms in this exact form. But El Elyon shows up several times in the Old Testament combined with other names of God. Now, some have come to the story of Abraham with the belief Abram is the only man on earth who is worshiping the true and living God. But guess what? Our text indicates this is not the truth. Everything about this text indicated that Abram recognized the Canaanite, Melchizedek, as a true priest of God. There have been people who said, well, he couldn't be. He was Canaanite. Well, Abram's recognizing him. And other texts within the Word of God 
indicate the same thing. In Psalm 110, David writes a psalm about the Messiah who is to come, his descendant who's going to bring a just and wonderful rule. And in verse 4, he says of that descendant, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. If Messiah is going to be a priest like Melchizedek, Melchizedek must be a true priest. And then the writer of Hebrews uh, referred to Melchizedek in the seventh chapter as a perfect type of Christ. Hebrews 7 verses 1 through 3 says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, people have taken that statement of Hebrews and said, well, he can't be a man because he didn't have a father and a mother and he never had an end. Well, folks, all that means in the book of Genesis which loves genealogies. Have you ever noticed that? A lot of genealogies in the Pentateuch. There is no genealogy from Melchizedek. We don't know who his parents were. We don't know when he died. All we know about him is what is in this text. And the writer of Hebrews goes so far as to say, as you read further in the seventh chapter, that Melchizedek, now get this, this is huge, For a Jewish believer to say Melchizedek was actually superior to Abraham. How is that possible? It says because Abraham paid a tithe to him. Abraham recognized his special relationship as a priest to God. Now I hope I'm not about to put a pin in some bubbles here. But there have been a lot of people throughout the years who have suggested that Melchizedek was actually the Christ, the Word of God, in a physical form before his incarnation. A Christophany, or maybe a Theophany, God appearing. But, uh, Stephen Schrader has probably the most succinct argument I've ever seen, kind of says that's highly unlikely. So if you've heard sermons that Jesus showed up and appeared to Abraham himself, listen to the reason Schrader says, probably not. First of all, Zadok. Now remember, Melchizedek's name is Melchizedek. King of righteousness. Okay? Zadok was actually a family name of Jebusite kings. They were the ones who controlled Salem. It's mentioned in a very ancient text known as the Amarna Letters. It's mentioned again in Joshua 10. Second, there is no precedent in the old... You will never... I believe there are theophanies. We're going to get to see some in Abraham's life. I believe God appeared in a physical form to people in the Old Testament. But there is never a place in the Old Testament where a theophany was said to actually live on earth. God shows up for a moment, does what he's going to do, and then he's gone. Melchizedek, remember, where was he king? Salem, 
if you're a king of Salem, that means you live in Salem. Okay, so he he's not here and then gone. He actually had a place in life. Third, Christ is called, and I read for you, Psalm 110.4, Christ is called a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, if Christ was Melchizedek, that would mean he was a priest after his own order. And that makes no sense. Folks, I believe Melchizedek was a man. When you're following the context of this passage, but what causes so many problems for people accepting that, he was a Canaanite. But he was a Canaanite to whom God had revealed himself. God had come to him, and Melchizedek trusted in God. Now, he doesn't call him Yahweh because Abraham has given that name for God. He calls him Most High God. God Most High. Creator of heavens and earth. Melchizedek, whatever that term may have meant to his his people, Melchizedek says, this is a God who really created. This is a God who is really Lord. And so he offers to Abraham a blessing. Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And then he says, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And when you look at Abram's reaction, it shows. Abram says, this is a man of God. See, Abram wasn't... Abram wasn't... How do I put this gently? Uh, People of faith through a lot of years who had a whole lot of turf wars don't step on my my turf. I'm the ruler here. I'm the boss. Abraham realizes that God Almighty can reveal himself to whomever he chooses. And he believes that he has revealed himself to Melchizedek. And what just happened was real. And we know this because Abram does pay a tithe. A tenth is going to Melchizedek. And later, as we see what happens with the king of Sodom, it's just solidified. Abram is going to worship God. Abram is going to acknowledge what Melchizedek has said. The reason I won this battle was not that I had a crack team of Israeli commandos. God Almighty delivered these people into my hands. Now, what do we learn from Abram? And I pray you'll, again, listen carefully. Every day of our lives holds an opportunity to shine the light of faith. When Abram pays a tithe to Melchizedek, when Abram recognizes he truly is a priest, God Most High, And when Abram responds to Sodom, Abram is declaring for the Canaanites, I am going to serve God. I'm going to serve the God who moved in my life. Now the reality is we are living in a world that many just reject even the concept of God now. I've told you before, there's a lot of people in our country who think we're fools for being here. And that we are outdated. But folks, the world cannot fully understand the truths of God unless we, the children 
of God. God's people are willing to share the truth. We're willing to shine our light. We're willing to be salt of the earth. That's the only way it happens. Listen to what Paul told the church at Rome. And I'm going to be reading from the message here because I really like the way it's handled. Romans 10, 14 through 17. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? That's why Scripture exclaims, a sight to take your breath away, grand processions of people telling all the good tidings of God. But not everybody is ready for this, ready to see and hear and act. Isaiah asked what we all ask at one time or other, does anyone care, God? Is anyone listening and believing a word of it? The point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. If you're a child of God today, don't get hung up on that statement, how can they hear unless one is sent? If you're a child of God today, who are the ones in this congregation gathered today and over in the Philippines and whoever may be listening or watching on air, who are the ones who are sent? That's right, thank you. Some of you just went ahead and raised your hand. I didn't even have to ask. We are the ones who are sent. Christ gave us a commission to take what we know, and be a witness to this world, to go and make disciples, to be as witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We have been sent on a mission by Christ himself to be the salt and light of this earth, to be witnesses to the one who gave himself that we might have life. Abram lived as a witness in Canaan, making altars wherever he went, Seeking God's will wherever he went. And we are called to do the same. The world in which we live, we have the possibility of sharing what we have heard and believed. But this will not happen unless, like Abraham, we are committed to the one who has called us. Unless we are willing to honor our God with our lives, We'll never say a word. We'll never share our faith. We'll never point people to Christ. So my friends, our hearts need to be focused on the God we serve. We need to be focused on our God Most High. You see, He provides the witness we bear. I am the man who I am because God has saved me. He has given me a word to share. He has given me a life to point to Him. He is one who gives His Spirit to direct us and lead us when we're willing to listen. He is the one who has brought the Word of God into our lives that can shape our lives, can make us usable vessels for His kingdom. And when we will yield ourselves into His hands, recognizing that God has called us, just like He called Abram out of Ur, God has called us into the light into the family of God, we can find ways to shine the light of Jesus Christ. Just like Abraham honored God most high. And did you know that, well, I'm about to jump ahead of myself, I'll ring back. Abraham is shining his light for God. 
So we can choose to remain true to the God who has saved us, giving Him our worship, our hearts, our willingness to shine His light, even as Abraham shone His light, or we can choose to compromise with the world. We can either say, I'm going to live for God, or I'm going to compromise who I am and what I believe. I already told you, with one king, Abram has this life-affirming spiritual transformation moment when God speaks and lets him know, I'm with you. But with the other king, Abram faced the challenge of compromising his faith. I shared with you when, uh, when I, we looked at the battle, that idea that some of the kings fell into the bitumen pits, that the translation could be they crawled into the pits. In other words, they were hiding. But at this moment, after the battle's over, after things, everything's safe, Bera, the king of Sodom, takes kind of a, a look and says, okay, I can get out now. And like Melchizedek, he comes to Abram, welcoming the triumphant king. And immediately, we see this man's heart. He's not blessing God. He's not blessing Abraham. God's done a wonderful thing through you. He wants to make a deal. And it's a pretty straightforward deal. You can keep the bounty. You can keep the goods. You can keep the stuff of give me my people. Give my people back to me. Now why is this king going to make that offer? Well, some have suggested maybe when Abram gives a tithe to Melchizedek, the bear is worried. Maybe he's thinking, well, Abraham's plan on keeping everything. And I can't, if he keeps everything, including my people, <coughs> what will I be king over? He says, go ahead and take the money. Whatever you got from those four kings is yours to handle. Perhaps he felt threatened. Maybe the people of Sodom will be so happy with Abram that they will say, he saved us. Our king was hiding. Let's follow Abram. One other suggestion that I believe has quite a bit of merit. Bera makes a deal, or wants to make a deal with Abram. So Abram will owe him something. <coughs> you know that old expression, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You can go ahead and take it, all this stuff. Just remember where you got it. Just remember that I said it was okay. You owe me, Abram. You owe me. And when you see Abram's reaction, it seems Abram may have thought that. Don Anderson, in a great little book, Abram, Abraham Delays Not Denial, wrote, the king of Sodom basically offered Abram a blank check that he could, could be filled in for any amount. If he accepted, Abram would be a millionaire with enough capital to expand his ranching operation to the level of an empire. <coughs> the idea must have been tempting, but it's so beautiful to see Abram's response. 
And how did Abram respond? Take the stuff, Abram. Abram says, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High, Creator of heavens and the earth. Now here's what I wanted you to notice. Do you notice he's using Melchizedek's phrase now? What is he saying in that? I believe Abram, this is another case where Abram is saying, the Canaanite doesn't know the name of the Lord, but the God Most High that he worships is the Lord. And I have lifted my hand to God Most High, and I have made a vow. I'm not going to take anything from you. I'm not even going to take a string. I'm not going to let you give me part of a sandal. I don't want anything you have to offer me. I don't want to be beholding to you. I am going to trust God. Now, Anderson points out that he's saying, I don't want anything from you right in front of Lot. And Anderson suggests that Lot most likely would have snapped up whatever table scraps Barah threw his way. But Abram again, he not only pays a tithe, but he says, I'm not taking anything from you. Now, for those of you who've been with me since we started this series a few weeks ago, that trip into Egypt, you may be wondering, well, what's the difference? Why would he accept the treasure that Pharaoh gave him and not accept Barah's treasure? There are several possibilities. What was different? The king of Sodom, Barah, and for that matter, the people of Sodom, had an evil reputation. And God will deal with Sodom. But Abram does not wish to be associated with this evil king. He doesn't want to owe a debt to an evil king. He refused to accept anything from Barah because he says, I don't want you ever to be able to say, I made Abram rich. I don't want to be associated with a Canaanite ruler who is not a ruler of righteousness but leads his people into lives of sin. Now I did say, now, the men who allied themselves with me, they can take part of it. My men, they got to eat the food that helped them fight the battle. That's enough. So Abram says, no, Vera, I don't want anything you have to offer. What can we learn from Abram here? Every day of our lives, we face the temptation of a path of least resistance. Every day, we have the possibility of simply saying, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want problems. So I'm just going to stay quiet. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to have my times with my people. Then I go go out in the world. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to shake things up. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to tell anybody. Warren Wearsby once made this statement, Christians today face many temptations to compromise and it often appears that the safest course is to go with the crowd. Isn't that true? The world out there doesn't care who or what I believe in as long as I leave them alone. Wearsby says, this is the most dangerous course. The only really safe place is in the will of God. And the church has had a 
a temptation, an ongoing battle about using the things of this world in order to get an advantage or to get a hearing. In the book of Acts, we see a beautiful example. Paul and Silas and the team are in Philippi. And Luke writes in the 16th chapter, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And that moment the Spirit left her. Now notice, everything she said was true, wasn't it? They were men of the Most High God. They did have the means of what it what it means to become a child of God. So why didn't Paul just take advantage of that? Somebody in Philippi is already saying, you should listen to us. Why? Because she got her powers from the enemy. And he didn't want to be connected to her in any shape, form, or fashion. And it can be tempting to use, to use things to get people here. How about bribing people? Churches have done that a lot. Vance Havner, my hero, made a statement once that I wished he were alive so I could go shake his hand and hug him and all that kind. He once made a statement, I have a hard time visioning John the Baptist giving free camel rides beside the Jordan to the people who bring the most to be baptized. You think we might have a crowd next week? If I could announce on every media possible, of course we'd have to have it to do it, but I could announce for the first 100 guests that come to first to Davis Baptist Church this week, coming week, we are going to give you a crisp $100 bill. Think, yeah, there will be a lot of people here. I'm part of the era... And in, in when I was a young person, youth ministry started changing. All of a sudden it came, started being more and more about entertainment. Started being more and more about let's have fun. I'm not against having fun. You guys may have noticed, I like to laugh. I like having fun. But somewhere along the line, the message was getting blurred. Somewhere along the line, it was just about let's get people here however we can get people here. The seeker-sensitive movement that grew rapidly in the 80s and 90s said basically the way you need to grow a church is giving people what they want. We need to design a church service that doesn't feel like church. That will entertain the world, get them here, and they'll like what we're doing, and then somewhere along the line, we'll give them some meat. Paul Carter, who was part of that movement, and withdrew, said, you know what? We never got around to giving the meat. And I had to leave. Folks, the reality is, when we start trying to be like the world in order to win the world, we're going to have a muddy message, aren't we? Because all of a sudden, I can't talk about, well, you know, you're, You're a sinner and you need salvation. 
You need the grace of God to come into your life and change you. Folks, if what I start giving you every week are self-help messages, you have my permission. I shouldn't say this, but you have my permission. I feel fairly safe to slap me on the back of my head and say, what is the matter with you? Because that's not what we're here for. We need to be careful. Churches did grow in that method, but even Willow Creek, which was one of the main movers in the seeker movement, later came to say, you know what? We weren't doing much in terms of discipleship and helping people grow. What we need to understand, folks, is that our hearts must seriously beware of compromising the truth of God. We can't lose sight of who He is and who we are just to get people here. I want to get people here. I want to see people come to faith in Christ. I want to see our church uh, with many more folks here. Not because the numbers will look good and it'll be fun. We want to see people brought into the kingdom of God. But if we adopt the methods of the world, will we not compromise our call? Our commitment to God? Abraham thought so. And said, I don't want anything to do with Sodom. I don't want what you're offering. Dr. Larry Petten wrote, The world needs followers of Jesus who cannot be bought, whose word is their bond, who put character above wealth, who possess opinions and a will, who are larger than their vocations, who do not hesitate to take chances, who will not lose their individuality in a crowd, who will be as honest in small things as in great things, who will make no compromise with wrong, whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires, who will not say... They do it because everybody else does it. Who are true to their friends through good report and evil report and adversity as well and prosperity. Who do not believe that shrewdness, cunning, and hard-headedness are the best qualities for winning success. Who are not ashamed or afraid to stand for the truth when it is unpopular. Who will say no with emphasis, although all the rest of the world says yes. This morning we have a choice. We have not met two kings in our parking lot who have said, follow me. What we have today is a choice of masters. Which master will we follow? Because we will follow somebody. Will we choose to honor the God who has saved us? Will we choose to allow His Spirit to move in our lives and direct us the way we should lead? Will we follow the Master known as Jesus the Christ? Or are we going to follow the Master of Compromise? Leave Jesus here and not take him out there with us wherever we go. Today I'm asking you to choose wisely. Today I'm asking you 
even as God has been dealing with me as I prepared this for you. We need to choose to honor God. We need to have a commitment to be His people, to follow the Lord who saved us, to share with the world what we have found in Christ. We have a call. That song we sang, I remember my mom singing when I was a little boy, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Folks, that should be our heart. I ask you to bow your heads before God Almighty. And this morning I'm asking you where you are without any hesitation. Will you say, Jesus, help me follow you. Father God, let me be the person who honors you. Holy Spirit, empower me to live the life you want me to live. And as I do, most holy God, help me to shine the light of Christ in a world that is filled with the darkness of sin. Choose you this day whom you will serve. 